If you would take your scriptures and turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21, we'll be reading verses 33 through 46. Matthew 21, 33 through 46. Would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Hear another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first time, and they did likewise to them. Then, last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? They said to him, He will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits of their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it was is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I lay, say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now, when the chief priest and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. But when they sought to dry, lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we stand before you this morning because we know you are the one who will redeem our lives from the grave. And you are the one who will take us to yourself. You declare there is a time coming when the dead will hear the voice of your son and those who hear will live. Before, the, before us this morning on this table your, are your works on our behalf. Grant us open hearts and clean souls so we can come and partake of this wonderful supper of grace and mercy. Give us a strong desire to live as those who please you. Help us to show forth our faith and trust in your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. This is the week before Christ's last Passover. And he's in the temple at Jerusalem. He preached and did many miracles. And the time of his earthly walk is growing very short. This parable is given in response to the chief priests and elders asking him where his authority comes from. He would not answer them directly. He wouldn't answer them for they would not answer his question on the baptism of John. However, in this parable, he gives them an answer. At first, it is hidden from them. But as they listen, God opens their hearts, to e their ears to hear, and their hearts not to understand. He just wanted them to hear what he was saying. They do that, and they hear his words. 
What we find in this parable is a strong declaration of the coming change Christ's death will produce. The nation of Israel has been the vessel through which God has blessed mankind. It's through Israel that the promise was given of a Savior. It was through Israel that the law was given to point men to that salvation. It was through Israel that the Savior himself was to come. With these words, Christ makes it very clear. Israel will reject the Savior, they will throw him out, and they will kill him. It's in this parable we come to understand, because Israel rejected the Christ, they come to utter destruction. The promised blessing is handed over to all who believe in Christ by faith, Gentile and Jew, whoever comes by faith. The new vessel of God's choosing becomes the church of Jesus Christ. Now that's a very important point for us to understand. Christ is shifted from Israel. He is now the new Israel, so it is those who are in him are part of Israel. Please understand, the church is not some parenthetical period of history in God's plan. It is not something that God developed because this Jewish rebellion took him by surprise. The church is his creation, of which the foundation was laid with his first statement of promise to Abraham. In this parable, you see the continual and final widening of the covenant to receive all of God's people from every nation, tribe, and language group on earth. In Jesus Christ, the plan of God's grace is revealed in its completed form. Here on this table is the perfect representation of that covenant promise that men from every nation, tribe, and language group and people on this earth will be brought together under this wonderful covenant of redemption which God first promised in Abraham. You also see in this something that is even more important. You see the coming of Christ in the flesh as the son and rightful heir. You see his crucifixion and the destruction of Israel in 70 A.D., you see the new administration of the completed plan of God's work by given, as given in the Bible and depicted on this table. My friends, you live in the greatest of times. You have the completed plan of God's work with men. You have the promise of your redemption, a guarantee of eternal life. You live in the day of God's spirit dwelling in the hearts of those who love him. You live in this day of the kingdom of heaven. Your king is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You as a believer in Christ Jesus are a part of his kingdom and his kingdom is the church of Jesus Christ. Israel has been crushed and is no more for they rejected the cornerstone. Let's examine this parable and its underlying truths. First, we will look at the parable itself. Second, we shall study the reaction of the crowd. Third, we will hear Christ's explanation of the parable. Fourth, we will consider the results the teaching of this parable produced. In Matthew 21, 23, the chief priests and elders of the people come to Jesus to ask him these questions. By what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Jesus told them he would answer the question if they would answer one for him. His question was the baptism of John. Was it from heaven or from men? 
the priest, chief priests and elders reasoned among themselves. They decided it was no win situation for them. If they said his baptism was a man, they feared the reaction of the people who saw John as a prophet. If they said it was of God, they knew Christ would ask them why they didn't accept it. So they refused to answer. And Christ would not directly tell them from whence his authority came. Instead of a direct answer, Christ answers with this parable. Now, to properly understand the parable, you must understand the owner is a representation of God. The vineyard is a representation of Israel. The vine dressers are the, and the chief are the chief priests and the elders, and the son, of course, is Christ. In the beginning, we see God as the owner of the one who has done all of the preparation work. Verse 33, here another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. The owner took care of all of the details concerning the establishment of this vineyard. He planted the vines and provided it with protection by building around it a wall. He made sure it had everything it needed to prepare the fruit for sale. He even built a wine press. He also built a watchtower, a place of security, a warning system against trouble. And he graciously provided workers to see that the vineyard was productive. These renters had but one duty, and that was to produce. They were given everything they needed to carry out this one requirement. In this, you see God is sovereign. He is the one who has created this world and everything in it. Therefore, just as the vineyard belongs to this owner, so the world belongs to God. Just as these men were placed in the vineyard to work for the owner, so men are placed in this world to work for God. Consider the payment and collection of the fruits. Verse 34. Now, when the vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. When the owner hired the renters, he instructed them to be fruitful. He, produced, he provided them with all the necessities and left them to work and enjoy his vineyard. He sends his servants to see how the harvest is gone and to receive his share of the fruit. We have said the owner is God and the vine dressers are the leaders of Israel. What God required of Israel was obedience, worship, praise, and adoration. He constantly sent his prophets to remind them of their con contract with him and they continued to refuse to obey. They were idolatrous and followed after other gods. They were not obedient. They didn't offer pure worship. These men are a reflection of mankind. Man was created to serve God, to tend the garden, replenish the earth, and worship their creator. These were man's duties, and they did not go away because of their sin. In these next two verses, you find two responses, one from the renters, the other from the owner. Verse 35, verses 35 through 37. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first time, and they did likewise to them. 
Then, last of all, he sent his sons so, to them, saying, They will respect my son. The response of these renters is harsh. They saw the servants coming. They jumped on them and beat some and killed others. They continue to refuse to acknowledge the rights of the owner or to fulfill their duties. They became completely self-absorbed and concerned with nothing but their own desires. They didn't even want to hear what his servants had to say. The owner sent his servants, and when they came back beaten or didn't return, he exercised great patience and he sent others. He bent over backward with these renters to get them to honor the contract that he had made with them. When they finally saw they would not, when he finally saw they would not honor his servants, he made a very loving decision. He said, they won't honor my servants, so I'll send my son. Surely they will respect my son. This parable shows without a doubt the total depravity of man. The creator of all things sends his own beloved son to stand before men and reveal his love for them in the covenant he made with them. Do they heed the son? Look at verses 38 and 39. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. This is really an interesting passage. Christ said, they saw the son, and immediately they knew who he was. They knew what was his coming meant. They had to accept an honoring. Was not the Christ child within days of his birth being sought after by Herod to kill him? They had to acknowledge their place as one of submission before him. They couldn't handle being submissive. They were an arrogant and prideful lot. So they hatched a plan to take the son and kill him so they could steal his inheritance. They wanted the son dead. Their sole motivation was greed. So they took him out of the vineyard and killed him, just as these priests and elders would take Christ out of the city to Calvary and would there kill the true son of God. After laying this parable before the chief priests and elders, Christ asked them a question. Verse 40. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? Now this is a really loaded question. The chief priests and elders haven't gotten hold of the full meaning of this parable just yet. I don't think too many people would think very highly of the vine dressers at this point, do you? There is enough justice in most people to see the totally despicable thing these men have done. Christ wants the chief priests and the elders to think for just a moment. To think on what they believe the owner will do when he returns. You see, most people will look at the situation like this and they'll place themselves in the place of the one who's being injured. They will never accept the role of the oppressor. The reason for that is man's idea of his own worth. Christ has set the stage to make these men look into their own hearts. He wants them to examine themselves. He wants them to see what they have become. 
He wants them to see themselves as God sees them. What a terrible awakening they're about to face. How will they react? Their reaction shows their hypocrisy. Verse 41. They said to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits of their seasons. Christ asked the question, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? What a question. Their answer shows they didn't understand the true meaning yet. They saw the tenants as evil and wicked men. They saw their hearts as greedy. They still haven't seen themselves as the vine dressers. Is this not the way with the wicked today when confronted with the gospel? They see Christ and identify with his suffering, but cannot on their own see themselves in the role of his murderers. They refuse to accept their rebellion against God. There is a modern equivalent of this parable. It was the Mel Gibson movie, The Passion of the Christ. Now, besides the fact they wanted to show Mary as the source of Jesus' resolve, which was absolutely ridiculous, they also showed the crucifixion in the same light Jesus shows in this parable. It focused on the horror of those executing the punishment such that people were overwhelmed by the terror. And rightly, they should have been. While the grace of God's action was diminished. Even the Romans were shown to have compassion. Pilate was concerned to release Jesus. But it never made clear his reason. It wasn't his own, it was his own political future, not the heart of concern for Christ. The priest Jesus was speaking to did not see the grace of the owner. They saw the wicked intentions of the vine dressers. These men gave a prophetic answer, and remember, these were the leaders of the Jewish nation. These are the very men who have already been trying to kill Christ. They say the owner will return and will violently remove from the vineyard this bunch of evil vine dressers. He will rent the vineyard out to other vine dressers. The new vine dressers will be men with a better heart. Men who will honor and respect the owner. Men who will give him the fruits of the vineyard. These will be those who have received a new heart, a new spirit, and the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. Here, you can see the real wickedness of the human heart. It is shown from this response. These men know right from wrong. But when it comes to evil from one's own heart, it's very difficult for any man to admit his own sin. They could not see themselves in this parable. They could not identify their own evil intentions in this message. My friends, before you on this table, which is the table of our Lord, you must examine your own heart. You must stop denying your own sinful actions and repent. Please do not come to this table without first looking deep within your heart and clearing away by confession your sins. Acknowledging your own part and wickedness in the killing of Christ. For Jesus Christ came into this world to show you your sin, 
and to do for you those things you could not do for yourselves. He lived the perfect life, died the atoning death, won the resurrection victory. Now, now you must understand, without him and the merits of his works, you're like these men, lost and deserving of his wrath. Jesus almost seems to interpret their answer at this point to explain the parable he asked them. Have you never read in the scriptures? This, is one, this was a group of men who loved to boast of their knowledge of the scriptures. They, they, they were the ones who studied all the time. They're the ones who knew everything, supposedly. So Christ asked them if they had ever read in Psalm 118 these words. Now, let me tell you something about Psalm 18. It's a Hallel psalm. That meant that it was used at every Passover. It was the main psalm that was used at Passover. These men knew this psalm. If they were leaders of Israel, they knew this psalm. The words were, the stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's. It is marvelous in our eyes. The apex of this message, of this parable, is the killing of the son. So it is precisely at this point Christ begins his explanation. These wicked men had rejected the servant sent by the owner and had even killed his son. They did it simply to enrich themselves. They thought, should they kill the son, the inheritance would be theirs. At this point, Jesus drops his shocker, Psalm 118. The builders had rejected the cornerstone. The builders, those in authority, leaders, and prominent men had rejected, despised, and scoffed at the true Israel, Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, look at the grace that had been given. Look at the long-suffering of the owner. He had sent servant after servant. Some they had ignored, others they had tormented, and some they killed. Yet with all of their wickedness, God made Israel a nation among nations, giving them his law. Israel was not chosen for that role because of her great power or her moral, mortal, or moral excellence, but because of God's choice. In Psalm 118, Jesus shows the final chapter of Israel's history. He shows he is the true Israel. He is the stone which the builders rejected. The builders are the chief priests and elders. It also included their followers, the whole nation of Israel, for, they, for were they not the ones who stood and shouted, crucify him, crucify him, let his blood be on us? Does not John 14, 6 tell us no one can come to the Father except through the Son? The parable explains what is coming, Matthew 21, 43 through 44. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on, on whoever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Little doubt is left about the final outcome for those who reject Christ. Those who fall beneath because of this stone will be broken into pieces. Their self-confidence and self-assurance will be destroyed. But note this. Those on whom the stone falls will be crushed. If you stumble on Christ, who is the stumbling stone, if you oppose Christ, you will fall and you will fail in your opposition. 
you will be broken into pieces, but not necessarily totally destroyed or lost eternally. You will come to the end of yourself and thus find salvation in trusting in Christ and in Christ alone. You see, on whomever Christ falls, his judgment comes and they will be utterly and everlastingly crushed. Many Jews opposed Christ and in the end were broken into pieces but not utterly destroyed. They came to see they could not save themselves. They were later saved by his grace. But those who were in leadership and those who led others into their lie were fallen on by Christ and utterly destroyed. The nation of Israel was completely destroyed and removed as God's people by the judgment of Christ from Calvary's cross. In 70 AD, you may remember that Jerusalem and the temple were literally wiped away by the Roman conquest. The nation of Israel is no longer to be known as the people of God. Under the new covenant, only those who believe as Abraham did, those who believe in Jesus Christ by faith, Jew or Gentile, can be called the people of God. These people will come from every nation, tribe, and language group in this world. Listen to these passages found in the New Testament. I, I give you a paraphrased part of each one. Galatians 3, 6 through 9. All who like Abraham by faith believe the promise are children of God. Ephesians 2, 14 through 18. By the blood of Christ, the two, Gentile and Jew, have been made into one people, the people of God. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. We are being built into one people in Christ. Hebrews 8 through 12. 8, 8 through 12. God may, has made a new covenant with the house of Israel and Judah. Ephesians 2, 19 22. You, by faith, are made a part of that house the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus reveals this truth. There is a similar account of this same type of parable in the Old Testament. Remember David and his adultery with Bathsheba? The prophet Nathan comes to David and tells him of a rich man with many sheep. He tells him how that rich man, when a guest came to his house, went out and stole this one sheep this poor neighbor had to slaughter and feed his guest. David was outraged. He was outraged. He condemned the rich man. Then Nathan drops the bombshell. David, that man is you. David, with David, his heart was broken. And he fell on his face before God and repented. Did Christ get that same results? Here are these men's rebellion. Verses 45 through 46. Now when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived his, he was talking about them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. These men asked Jesus, by what authority did he, his works here? They perceived, they perceived, I'm sorry. These men asked Jesus, by what authority he did his works here? They perceived what he was saying. They recognize themselves and their sin. They get the answer to their question in somewhat of a roundabout way, but they got the answer. They understand he is claiming to be the son of God, which made him the one they were to submit to. 
They claim their authority came from him, from God. Here, God opens the hearts of these men to see the truth, but does not open it wide enough they can believe. They know who Christ is, and they are shown as the wicked vine dressers, but they refuse to repent as David did. Instead, they looked for a way to arrest Jesus. They thought, if only we can remove this one from among us, we will be the heirs of God's promise. You see in David, one who stumbled at the word of God. He acknowledged his sin and turned away from it, and he was forgiven. In the chief priests and Pharisees, you see those upon whom judgment has fallen, and you see their eternal destruction. Christ makes clear this is what he means in verse 43. Who does he speak to? He says, I tell you, the kingdom will be taken away from you. Christ is speaking directly to the chief priests and Pharisees and to the whole nation of Israel through them. Do not Jews today, even those who don't believe on Jesus Christ, claim they are God's children? If they are, what is to be done with this passage of Scripture? Does it not clearly show that Israel and her leaders were not following God and because of that, their place was to be taken away and given to others? Does not the scripture teach no one can come unto God but the Father draws him and he will draw him only through Jesus Christ? The nation of Israel was destroyed, crushed, because they rejected Jesus Christ. In her place, the glorious church of Christ has grown up in the world to show a lost and dying world the wonderful grace of a loving God. A grace being shed upon his people, a people drawn from every nation, tribe, language, group, and people on the face of the earth. That grace through Jesus Christ is fulfilling the promise made to Abraham. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Friends, I would not have you to be ignorant. Christ came into this world to live the perfect life, die the atoning death, and win the resurrection victory for all who would hear and believe. His whole plan has been to call them to himself through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on Calvary's cross. Here on this table, right before you this morning, is the picture he has given his church of this wonderful gift of grace. If you have not with broken and contrite heart cried out in anguish to God, acknowledge yourself as a sinner recognizing your need of a Savior and seeing Jesus Christ as the one and only who could save you. Let me warn you. When Christ falls upon you with his judgment, you will be holy and forever crushed, condemned to hell forever without hope. If you are one who has opposed Christ and are broken into pieces, know there is still hope. Hear his words, believe on me and be saved. He will come to all who call, he will save and adopt them into his eternal kingdom. This is the ultimate widening of the covenant, taking in all who will hear and believe. Don't reject the only offer of true salvation as these elders of Israel did, for to do so is to be condemned for eternity. Search your hearts and make sure you're trusting in the one who is prepared, presented on this table and trusting in him alone for your salvation.
For he is the one who came into this world to do for you those things you could never do for yourself. Here is a clear picture of his worth. His perfect life and atoning death. Let us pray. O Lord, our Father in heaven, we come to you this morning to open your word and seek our understanding of how you sent your only begotten Son into this world. We know you sent him to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Help us to grow in our knowledge and undergirding our faith. Take the truths of your word and pick us up and guide us to you. No greater gift has been given than the word that draws us to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for giving us such knowledge. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Would you take your hymnals and turn to hymn 252, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross.